Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a process that unlocks the full potential of your company by solving the problems that are impacting your growth. I want to thank our sponsors, the Collaborative Community of San Diego Business Organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, and Be Local San Diego. We're all focused on supporting this next generation of leader. Welcome to the show. I am proud and excited to share. We are celebrating our one-year anniversary of Conscious Curiosity SD. As part of that celebration, we thought we'd shake it up a bit today. Today, we're going to flip the table. Neville Billamori, the Senior VP of Membership and Advocacy at Mission Federal Credit Union and a past guest here on Conscious Curiosity SD, is going to be our host, and he's going to fire the questions at me instead of me firing questions at him. So Neville tossed this idea out back when he was on the show many, many months ago now, earlier in the year. We said, well, what perfect time to now celebrate our anniversary with a little different kind of show. Neville, welcome back. Thanks so much, Jeff, and congratulations on one-year anniversary. That's a, I know that's been a wild ride for you, and you've got and have experienced so many different guests. So maybe we can, as we get into it, you can do like your highlight reel, right? Best there of. There you go. Okay, we're going to go best of. Okay, all right. Okay. Yeah, no, okay, that's right. They're but all your favorites. Neville, but. you were the best. How's that sound? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no. I'm, I'm totally going to hand this over to you. I'm at your mercy. I was kind of laughing a little bit that... People come in here to be interviewed, and they're a little nervous. Like, oh, no, it's nothing, it's nothing. And all of a sudden, the day I find myself being a little nervous. So uh, now I get it. Yeah, the tables are turned, as they say. But spirit behind this is a good one. It's not to turn about as fair play. It's more, how do we affirm, acknowledge, appreciate you for all the work that you do to help uplift our society, uplift conscious curiosity? So that's the spirit and intention that, uh, was the impetus for my offer to flip the script. and I love that, and I appreciate you taking the time to come do this. And uh, Anyways, take it easy. Happy to do Oh, don't, don't worry. <laughs> All right. And you can always say, I choose not to respond, and you know, there you plead go. the fifth if you need to. There you to. go, and I know the editor, too, so it's <laughs> not, 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 not a problem. Excellent. Well, I thought it's always useful for audiences to get to know the authentic self, the person behind their role, right? Our, our role is not our identity. We have we wear many hats in our lives, and uh, maybe just start by sharing you know who you are as a person and go as deep or as vulnerable or as you know whatever role or resonance you want to go for. But the spirit again of the question is, how can they get to know Jeff Blanton, the dude? Who what, is what would you like guy? to share about this guy? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll just kind of start with what's my life sort of look like. I grew up moving around a fair amount. My dad worked for GM and he got promoted. We got moved. I can't seriously spot that. I said, well, there's home because there's all my buddies from first grade or whatever. And But I did go to school up in New England. That's where I graduated uh, from college with an engineering degree. I'm not sure exactly how all that happened, but somehow I uh, muddled my way through that and do have a mechanical engineering degree. Got my first job working for Westinghouse. That got me to the West Coast, and I said, this is the place to be. Ended up down here uh, in Southern California. First landed in San Diego, Neville, but uh, there was no jobs to be had for me, so I went up to L.A. County, and that's where I was for um, the majority of my career. Moved here seven, eight years ago. 
good news for uh, the engineering piece for me was it turns out engineering work is mostly project work. And at the end of the day, I learned throughout my career that I am a project guy. I'm not a good operator. I'm not interested in making it a little bit better and doing the same thing day in, day out. I love the idea of the project where you got a small team to go take a hill. I had a great chance. I started out in big corporate, Westinghouse, Honeywell, worked for a bunch of middle market companies, apparently I changed jobs a lot along the way. And my last corporate deal was uh, a successful startup in the medical device space. So it was kind of fun. So I saw the whole gamut. But uh, back to Jeff, the person, I was always a work-centric guy, but also highly frustrated a good share of the time. I call that smoldering discontent is the term I like to use for it, that there was like lots of highs, but then seemed like I always ended up in some lows where I just wasn't that happy of a guy. So 20-some years ago, that's when I started my consulting business with the idea that if I could focus in on the thing I really thought I was supposed to be doing, which was projects, then it all would be kumbaya. It wasn't, <laughs> so it turned out. But I did that for another 15, 20 years, which led to um, me really, and even at that point, asking myself, you know, what, what am I really here to do? I would say I was one of those guys we talk about today. I was kind of the unconscious uh, conscious capitalist because I was always leading from purpose. Uh, that was sort of my secret formula was to try and find the larger story and my people would want to come work on my project versus other things they could do or show up in a bigger and better way, which led me to the question like, well, that's working at work, what would that look like if I knew my own personal purpose? So I went on this adventure to go figure that out and I found out it's way, way harder to figure out than one would ever imagine. There were some fundamentals I think that I discovered along the way, which was I was doing it all from the view of me, which was what would make me look good, what would make me happy. And I went through lots of different exercises that was kind of, I was reading books, doing those kinds of things and I always just, it never seemed to land. I actually was on a bit of a sabbatical and all of a sudden, uh, and it kind of took a twist on a thing that it turns out that my, my, at least my definition today is purpose is not about me. It's actually how I serve. And if you think about serving equals joy, you can start to see like, oh, this is where meaning and impact would come into play. So anyways, landed on a uh, process and a method for coming up with one's purpose in two words. Didn't do anything with it. <laughs> Went back to my smoldering discontent until finally... Yeah, about seven years ago, I said, I quit. I just don't want to do this anymore. And that's what led me to come to San Diego, a little bit of regroup with uh, my wife and I, uh, wrote the book Jailbreak Leadership, which is about discovering uh, your two-word purpose and then how do you start to apply it. So that was been my journey in San Diego was how do you apply these concepts? And that's when things like conscious capitalism started showing up for me and some other things that started to say, oh, there's some other people already doing this. There's some words for this. But at the end of the day, it's really about how do you figure out who you are at your best? And I think the world has a way of not helping us figure that out. I think we get put into the machine. <laughs> you know, your parents are saying, okay, job one is for you to get out of this house and uh, go be able to live on your own. And this is how the world works. And then we go to school and the schools teach us how to go get jobs. And then we get jobs and they say, okay, you're one of these. <coughs> And then you get put in the corner and you're one of those in this industry. And then 30, 40 years later, you go, okay, <laughs> there you go. So that's been kind of the, the core. I think that's the solution to the smoldering discontent is really trying to figure out who am I at my best? Because I find that when I'm doing that and it's an, an act of service via my purpose, then um, that's a good day. Wow. I felt like a really long answer. No, it's a great answer. I'm old, so it took me a long time to get from college no, to here. <laughs> I appreciate the... Text without context is pretext. So thanks for the context. I think that really matters. I think for the audience, the 
topics or elements that you elevated for me is acknowledging smoldering discontent. So many of us deny it, or we just say, "Oh, that's par for the course," or "I've just got to write it out," and "Oh, you know, suck it up," or "You know, real men don't cry." Whatever the metaphor is that enables us to somehow not own the smoldering discontent, and I want to affirm and acknowledge you for having the courage to actually lean in on that and say, "Hey, I don't. There's a better way. I don't have to settle for this." So we all settle, right? It's that survive versus thrive a choice. So I just want to draw attention and awareness to that, that uh, thank you for having the courage to lean in and try to navigate that. As an engineer who's a problem solver, who, who's saying, okay, there's got to be a program or way or method to reconcile this. The second thing is the whole project guy. Today's world is all about sprints. It's all about agile. In some ways, the gig economy. Project guys are really, and gals, are really, really powerful force multipliers if you're really looking for value and impact. So the whole model of you know career employees that sit in a desk and do the yeah, same I think damn those thing days are over, over I think game over baby yeah. right you've got to generate value whether that's as an entrepreneur an entrepreneur uh, using innovation um, if it's not broke break it I mean there's a gazillion ways I can riff back on that thought but I guess the second piece is one is be honest and authentic with yourself and if it's not working have the courage to say that out loud. And say I, I don't need to settle. Number two is use engineering methodology and a project guy to help figure that out. And it's going to change and pivot over time. Like you said, you've been many places from New England to San Diego, many roles from you know inside organizations to doing your own thing. Thank you for again modeling that. I think that's the part that I, I would hope our audience would take away is if you're you have smoldering discontent and you're burying it, take a breath and ask, really, you're settling? Yeah, is there there's only one you. Is there a way out? And then two is think about uh, an intervention you can design through me search rather than research to find your way through. Yeah, figure out who you are. Figure, yeah. you're, you're right on. Kind of a funny story in that whole thing. You're going, well, Jeff, <laughs> this smoldering discontent, it was kind of interesting. My first job out of college, I was working for Westinghouse. Kind of a whole interesting story. And it sounded like a really cool job, but a year and a half into it, I was miserable. I mean, it was just the wrong fit for me. And I was with a handful of other college guys. We're all going to be field engineers and we're going to transfer out. So the belief was, you know, we'll get to the next thing and it's going to be good when we get to the next thing. But I remember we were leaving Pittsburgh and ended up going to Idaho for school. There was like four or five of us college guys, but there was two guys that were there when we got there. One guy was my dad's age and the guy was getting close to retirement. And they were just as miserable as us. Alan Warren. <laughs> I remember these two dudes. I just made, I made a promise to myself. I said I would never be Alan Warren. And I think that's part of the reason why I was willing to shift jobs when, okay, this thing just isn't serving me anymore. Sometimes the jobs left me too. <laughs> so there's a, there's a flip side of that. But I think uh, maybe the combination of moving around as a kid, I knew I could move. I knew I could go to different places. I, you know, that, I didn't have that fear. But I made that commitment and I stuck to it. And, but I just never could quite solve the problem earlier on. Just moving didn't solve it because I was the guy to move to the next place, right? The same character was in that place is the same guy here. So until I made some shifts for myself, I was never going to solve that problem. But I made that commitment at 23 or 24. Like, nope, I'm not, I'll never be Alan Warren. Well, good for you. And I hope everybody listening is not going to settle to be Alan Warren either, whatever that metaphorical Alan and Warren are in their lives. Wherever you go, there you are. Yep, so that's the problem. Just trading seats in the Titanic does not necessarily change the paradigm at all. Boat's it's still going down. Yep. Yeah, right. Suicide on the installment plan, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I really like the pivot that you did um, with your own introspection around the personal purpose is really not about me. It's about service and 
in that service, I find joy. Share more about how you arrived at oh, that. How that came yeah, to be. Yeah, I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah, so at that point where I uh, had kind of gone from big company all down to, way down to startup and still, all of a sudden still found myself in that same spot. And I said, okay, you know, I have some choices here. Uh, one was keep on keeping on, right? Just keep on doing what we're doing here. Two was do go big or go better. I missed something. So that was the idea of starting the consulting business. That would seem like the next logical move. And like I said earlier, let's go focus in on what I do best and maybe it'll all come together. But then there was a third option was like do something different. And that's what led to the idea of like, boy, if I knew my own personal purpose. I read books. I was doing all this stuff. I would go off on uh, two-day retreats, write out the whole big story of Jeff and who I'm going to be and how I'm going to change the world and all these kinds of good things. And I've always come back like, oh, I got it. I got it. But I was always struck by somebody said, well, what is it? It's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I'd have to like, I can only, I have to read it back to you, right? It wasn't, I just didn't really own all that. So I tried that from many different angles. And then, uh, so this is a long pursuit. I mean, I kept pursuing it over time. And then uh, I'll give credit to uh, Rick Warren in his purpose book, the big pumpkin thing, whatever. For me, his result was the same as the other result. You ended up with these kind of books <laughs> you write about yourself. But the very first line, I think, in the book says something along the lines, you know, it's not about you. And that's the only thing I really needed to hear. It wasn't about me. And then the second thing that happened was I share that I ended up going on this sabbatical, which is a whole other story on how that came to be. And towards the end of it, I'm up in Montana with a bunch of other business guys who were there kind of for a different purpose than me. I was like the only outsider in this group. And it was this really weird Neville. I showed up the very first day I'm there. This guy shared something that ran the ranch and, and said, hey, we got this issue with one of the employees or whatever. And the next day, the owner shows up at breath. He's all excited. He goes, oh, we solved the problem with Susie. It's like, well, what happened? Well, Doug spoke to her. And I just remember Doug going, well, when that happens, that's just what I do. And for whatever reason, that whole week I was there with these guys, something would happen, and uniquely, some guy would step into that thing. And I went, oh, this is interesting, right? It's like this, there's a need, and someone always fills that need. And it always seemed like a very natural thing for him. And sure enough, the last day I'm there, this thing kind of went down, where all of a sudden I found my, I was the guy. I'm standing in front of these guys talking about how we should mobilize my tour of purposes, mobilizing possibilities. I'm standing up talking about, you guys should be doing this, right? I was conducting the band. I was most likely the least likely guy to be doing this when you consider I wasn't part of the group, but I couldn't help myself. So all of a sudden it struck me. I said, okay, one, it's an act of service, and two, I'm already doing it. So if that's the case, then I should be able to find it. And that's what led to the process I use today to help people discover this. I've seen it be life-changing for a lot of people. And you're already doing it, but what it does for you is it puts some words to it, and it actually brings your attention to it because it's the natural thing you do. It's kind of like back to, I can't help myself. So you don't take credit for it. You somehow think everyone else is doing the same sort of thing. It's not you are the one that's doing that. So that's what led to that. The bad side was I didn't do anything with it. I just kind of owned it, and it took me a long time to say, well, wait a minute, how do we activate this thing? And with some of those principles practices be in the book yes people want to read them yes yeah. so but i'm yeah. going to say yeah i love it when people read the book and they say oh jeff i read the book and i i know my purpose now and I go, oh okay <laughs> part of the idea of jailbreak leadership is you're in jail and you're often the last person to actually everyone else in the room will go yeah that's you <laughs> you're usually the last one to actually figure it out so i say it's a difficult thing to do by yourself having someone to facilitate it kind of hold things up this is what you're saying makes it way easier to really land on it. 
And there's like, you can land on something, but I'm going to say to you, really get those two words where it's just up front. I mean, I, I meet people, I see people and they go, Jeff, you know, I haven't seen him in six months. Like, oh, <laughs> that, those two words are still right there on their tip of their tongue. They go, man, this has been, this has been great. We have since added some uh, new tools to make sure people land now. So. so what's coming up for me is a couple of things. Number one, you brought it up that it came up on a sabbatical. In our culture, we tend to just really focus on action. We don't take enough time for self-reflection. So whether it's a sabbatical, whether it's a retreat, sometimes those actually instead of being retreats, maybe should be called advances. Why are we retreating? Regardless of the how you construct it, the objective is to actually get out of your day-to-day routine, take time for yourself, go deep. And to your point, if you could always solve it by yourself, then freaking you'd have figured it out already. So you need right. some feedback, some mirror, some catalyst, some guide, coach, facilitator, could be super light touch, call you on your BS, whatever, right? Regardless, again, for the listeners, the invitation, the appeal is to take and create time for yourself. We're all time starved. You'd have thought with all of our digital devices and our hybrid schedules and our all the advances, the futuristic aspirations that we'd have more time. We have less time. And what do we do when we have free time? We kill that time. And God forbid we sit quiet with that time because all those demons kick up and we don't know what to do with them. So we stuff them and instead get busy doing something, distracting ourselves. And that doesn't really advance our own personal practice. I love that part about I get quiet because I still spend an exorbitant amount of time walking and doing things. Unfortunately, I get to live in uh, Pacific Beach, walking alongside the ocean a lot. And I'm amazed how many people have things stuck in their ears. I'm out walking, but I'm still listening to some, some podcast. I'm on the phone, whatever. It's like, nah, once in a while you just need to stop and just be you and uh, hang out with nature or whatever your thing is and see what comes up. Journaling is another thing I love to do. It's a great way for me to capture some of the thoughts that are happening. So, yeah. So just going outside, but still being in your own head is really not being outside. You could have exactly. done, done that in your own room too. Exactly. Well, let's take a short break and when we come back, let's talk about how you've taken your personal experiences and applied them in a, and learned and shared them in a more organizational setting. Sounds like a plan. All right. I want to take a moment during the break to thank all the amazing guests that have been on Conscious Curiosity over the last year. We are truly blessed to have so many outstanding business leaders who are committed to not only running and growing great businesses, but making a huge difference in all the lives they touch. I also want to thank Matt Failing from the Better Business Bureau, Laura Hall and Michael Hart from Conscious Capital in San Diego, and Stacy Smith, Scott Hancock, and Kristen Carroll from Be Local for their personal support and support of their organizations to make this all happen. Lastly, I want to thank Katura Kendi, the show producer, for without her, you might not be listening to this show right now. We're looking forward to having a fantastic second year, and we already have a whole bunch of amazing guests lined up in the queue. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to share it with a friend. This is how you can best support the movement of using the powerful influence of business to positively change the community of San Diego. Now back to the show. Welcome back. Here we are having the turnaround is fair play opportunity with the esteemed brother, Jeff Blanton. Esteemed, there you go. Who spent a year, it's his one year anniversary celebrating this podcast, Conscious Curiosity, which I've been privileged to be on. You've had some pretty amazing folks on. If you haven't heard, you can go back and find the library and listen to some of these really killer interviews. 
I've enjoyed them. So thank you for curating them and investing in learning about all these other people. And I thought it was only appropriate that we learn about you with the same degree and intensity and focus. Oh, I appreciate that, Neville. I really do. So in the first part, we were really talking about Jeff, the person, and his journey and what he learned and how he came to be at the stage of, you know, curiosity around how can I get beyond my smoldering discontent that many of us feel, but not all of us scratch that itch. And I want to pivot now in the second part of our t- time together to explore what this looked like when you started applying it in larger groups beyond just Jeff, whether those are in organizations where you worked, whether those are in communities where you practiced, whether it's in interviews you heard and you picked up ideas and principles that you thought were really worth sharing. So this is less about best practices, but about maybe next practices and about inviting our listeners to give thought to the power of collective wisdom. So again, in the first part, hey, you can do it your own on your own. The most bitter learning is self-experience. But if you can learn from other people's experience, you can kind of hack the system and not have to suffer as much, right? And, yes. and shortcut it. So it's steal, that same. Steal anything steal, you can. <laughs> steal blindly, wildly, crazily, exactly. exactly. If it works, use it. If not, get rid of it. Think of whether it's an organization, a community, a group, where you've seen the selfless or at least other-oriented notion of to serve bringing joy and uplifting with value and impact. Are there some evidentiary example or examples that come to mind that you're going, hey, this is a great one I'd love to share with these guys? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, certainly you were just talking about the amazing guests we've had on the podcast. That is one place to go. Everyone that we bring in to the podcast, they're all local San Diego business leaders who are leading from this perspective, the idea of a higher purpose in your organization. And some people would come in here, that's not necessarily what they would call it, but that's what they're doing. And it's just been phenomenal to hear their stories and really their focus around the people and their organizations and how that's paid dividends. Almost every, across the board, that's always been the deal is people were priority number one. And the result is, surprisingly enough, successful businesses. And so for me personally, the higher purpose of the work I do is to make work meaningful. So if you go back to what I was saying in the first part where I'm a work-centric guy, we spend the majority of our waking hours at work. It just seemed like some sort of atrocity that people were just, you know, kind of trading time for money. And so as a business leader, I was looking to tap into that because that was only beneficial for me as a leader and the things I was trying to get done. But then you start to see the impact it has on the people. They're having an opportunity to step up. They're starting to feel like they've got meaning. They're making an impact in the work they're doing. And you start to see this sort of life-changing you know, scenario. That's the focus. The focus is really doing that. So I'm doing that with individuals where people kind of look like me. They said, you know, I'm kind of north of 40. <laughs> I've had some success, but man, there needs to be more in life. Um, we're doing it with uh, project teams. We come in collectively doing the same thing. What's the same stuff I was doing in my uh, project management business, which is like, what's the biggest story? How do we get people enrolled? How do we get people energized, excited? How do we get people in the right seats of the bus, let people really do what they do best? And we're doing that with organizations. It's really a top-down where the business leader themselves discover their personal purpose, and they use their personal purpose to inform the higher purpose of their organization. And so that becomes the passionate call for this leader. It isn't just about, oh, we do something for homeless or whatever. That could be part of it. But there's going to be a much more deep-rooted purpose this leader has and why they started this business, the reason they they wanted to do it. They want to do something different beyond just making money. So that's the kind of work we're doing. 
one of the stories I love to tell kind of on an individual basis is uh, the work I did with one person who came in and said, hey, I'm thinking about changing careers and I want to make sure I make the right move. And she had been with a startup for 10, 13 years, came in, did the process. We discovered her two word of purpose being clarifying perspective, which meant she had no problem stepping in between two people or arguing, uh, someone having difficulties with the rules, whatever it might be where people are just having a struggle against something else. In our process, we say, you know, since you're already doing it, go out and live life. Let's see how it shows up. Let's see if those are the right two words. She comes back a week later. I say, Cheryl, what would you learn? She goes, well, first off, I was clarifying perspective for my granddaughter just this morning who's arguing with the girl up the street. I said, okay, perfect. What about work? Neville, she like lit up and said, Jeff, you would not believe how often I clarify perspective at work. I'm doing it all the time. She went from, I think I need to change careers and change jobs, like going, I can't imagine working somewhere else and have the same opportunity. The next step in this was get rid of some of the things she wasn't doing so great as some admin work she had on our list. And how do you lean into this thing that she now understood? She ended up moving with the company to Texas. And she also got herself a huge raise, something like a 30% raise six months later for essentially doing the same job. And that just doesn't happen in corporate America. But obviously her boss said, oh my goodness, what's going on here? So there's an example of someone not changing jobs, but right where she was at all of a sudden realizing, oh my goodness, here's the impact I'm having when I do what I do. And the second piece was, okay, now how can we frame your work a little bit so you get to lean into that more often than not? That's a terrific story. It's the old, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Right. And if you know how to capitalize on your strengths and come from a strengths-based orientation, you're clear about what your gifts and strengths and passions and talents are. You're able to articulate and share those in an environment that is conducive to optimizing it. All of a sudden, your value goes up exponentially and you're getting a 30% raise. So it's just about that um, subtlety of clarity of alignment that really made that work. I really liked your point about it being everybody tends to prioritize the people. So it's a person-centric model. It's not about profit-centric model. If you take care of the people, they'll take care of the profit. Well, the people are the engine, right? right. Your employees that, are your the engine. Also, you're you're fine-tuning your engine. You just added 100 horsepower. You think it's going to go faster? Things go, yep. Of course it does. It's, only, it's logical. You already know this. Yep. The fact that you now have, over the year, how many podcasts would you guess you have in around just ballpark? Our goal is to do one every two weeks. Um, I think this is like the 25th one or 26th one that we've done. So we're, we're sitting there right the one year. So, so, so there you go. There's over 20 gems on different topics with different leaders, arguably addressing different conditions that we're all experiencing. And I, and I want to shout out that uh, in the process of doing, we started doing this really for conscious capitalism organization I'm involved with. Yep. And then we're doing it here at the BVV. So the next thing I know, I'm like, wow, what are you guys up to here? Cause they have a whole different business model here at BVV. Sure. So then they became a sponsor, not just supporting me from the, uh, giving the podcast room. And now we have uh, B local, which is part of the B corporation crew. So we have uh, organizations that have the same philosophy that are, you know, coming at it, each have a little different direction or looking at it from, but all of the same idea that business has a greater value than just making money. This isn't just about the shareholder. It's about all the stakeholders. You're doing the curation work so that the average Joe doesn't have to do that to go through all the ethics and values of based organizations that BB does would take a lot of work to go through and apply all the precepts of conscious capitalism and find the best out there would take a lot of work. To use the B core B framework would take a lot of work. But here's a shorthand to getting to that content. And like your Cheryl example, if I can get clear about what my 
a purpose is, in her case, was clarifying perspective, and somebody else is interested in how they can optimize that, there you go. You've got a hack to make that happen. What I was curious about, and I want to run that by you, is what do you think about, like you said, you know, leaders map or align their personal purpose with the with the higher purpose for their organization. Do you think there'd be value of leaders, like going through that list of 20, picking one, they're going, man, this totally resonates, and then playing it with their team, and then having a conversation, a generative conversation about what stood out? What do you agree with? What are you calling BS on? Where's the challenges? What should we be talking about that we haven't talked about? Do you think that would, because I think sometimes it's lonely at the top and the leader has a very well-intentioned objective to set the tone and bring purpose in or whatever, but it's all about uplift and uptake, right? So if you're standing there on lone wolf on the hill and nobody else is on board, then you don't get the cultural constraints or cultural competencies that help you grow. So I just want to run that by you. Do you think that would be a, a interesting way to bring these ideas into organizations, whether you're a for-profit, non-profit, let's forget the tax status. Yeah, that, that doesn't matter. Right? We that, don't that, care about that. That's completely irrelevant to the program because yeah. businesses are businesses, right? Exactly. The thing is, is that what you want to tap into is this thing that the leader is really trying to be passionate about. And sometimes it's behind the behind. What is their personal purpose? What are they driven by? What do they want to see fixed in the world? And then how does that show up in the work that are doing. One of the stories I just love is, is my wife, right? She runs a nonprofit in uh, Pacific Beach and their whole focus 100% is on homelessness. So they're providing services, they have a facility, they do all these wonderful things. But that's not really the higher purpose of the organization. The higher purpose is co the community. How do you harness the power of the community to solve the problem? The problem just happens to be homelessness. If, the, if we solve homelessness tomorrow, they would just move down the list to the next thing. So it's often that the product or service is just providing a platform for you to go do this bigger thing you're trying to achieve. So again, it really comes back from, you know, this leader, like even mine, making work meaningful. I mean, you apply that anywhere <laughs> in the business world. You just know if I can make this more meaningful for people, they're going to show up in a bigger, better way. So it's tapping into your unique individual desire as a leader. And then how do you translate that into the business? And that's some level what becomes interesting, Neville, is, then hold that very loosely because the people are interested in it will find interesting ways to bring that to life in ways you never thought possible. They'll bring you like, well, what about this? What about that? Versus, no, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. I think being prescriptive about how you deploy it is very different than um, setting the intention and putting it out there for the yes. group and saying, what do you think? Right. What would you like to do with this? How could we collectively make this happen? This exploratory journey, again, through a conscious framework of openness, kindness, curiosity, appreciative inquiry might generate more of that momentum. And and the end of the day, you're going to make everybody's work more meaningful because they're going to feel a sense of connection to, the, to what they're doing. Including the customers. Including the customers, including yeah. the vendors, including yep. the community, including all stakeholders. All, all stakeholders. Right exactly right. Yes, exactly. And yeah. I think it's interesting, again, for aspiring conscious leaders, I love the quote, you can't be a prophet in your own land. At home, I ain't that smart. Uh, all of a sudden, I come out. It reminds uh, you right away. I don't want to. <laughs> I, I get, exactly. I get slapped upside my head, mm -mm, which is fine. And there's no judgment or, or I'm not feeling bad about that. I'm just saying it's really difficult for a leader to, in their own environment, always be viewed and valued for what they bring. When you bring a third-party credibility into the conversation, all of a sudden, they listen much more attentively. Yes. It's like your kids, right? You keep telling them the same thing that somebody else tells them. All of a sudden, they're going, you won't believe what they told me. I'm going, 
geez, I've been telling you that for years, but apparently that didn't land. So it's, right. a, it's a little bit of that. So Yeah, facilitation is the big part. I mean, that's really what the, <laughs> I bring to the party. Being a project guy for the majority of my career, worked in highly matrix organizations, and my job is how do you take a bunch of people who don't report to me to go do something? I've learned the skills of facilitation a long, long time ago, and I would say it's probably one of my, my uh, superpowers is that ability to do that. So to be able to come in an organization really as that third party and facilitate this process of helping a leader discover this, working with the teams. We do strength finders, do all these things really, again, trying to get people to figure out who they are at their best. And then here's where we're trying to go. One of the big pieces of this is really creating a compelling vision for the future. So if this is who we are, how will the world be different when we're successful at this? And that becomes the big calling card. This is what we're trying to do. That's the hill we're trying to take. And you get everybody lined up to go make that happen. Some leaders got the skills to make all that happen. You know, like, that's fine. Well, but, they, it, but they, it, you know, for the most part, everybody could use some help with that. And they may have the skills, they may not have the time. That's the other part. So, <laughs> that's the so other part. back to the, your point of trading time for money. So, but I think this is a particularly poignant conversation as we're sitting here in November of 2022 with two years of COVID under our belt, people languaging our w relationship to work as the great resignation, great migration, all that business, I think is the great rethink. I think if the future of work is going to be meaningful and purposeful, then leaders are going to be intentional about recruiting folks like you to do project-based surgical strikes to move the needle on impact and value. And if they get that, they should be chatting with you after this, when they hear this podcast, and if they don't get that, that's okay. They can kind of work it out on their own terms and with their own methodology. But I think it's not a migration, it's not a resignation, it's a rethink. People are rethinking, it's the great rethink. It's there. We're all rethinking our relationship to work. And in the past, that smoldering discontent you talked about in the first half of the show, we sucked it up. We said, hey, that's that's why they call it work. That's why they pay us. Yeah, that's and that, now that's it's our like, dad's model, right? Right, right. And now we're like, F that, man. But uh, I'm spending more time at work than with my family. I'm not squandering that time. And if I'm not allowing my whole self to show up with meaning and significance and purpose and fulfillment, what the hell am I doing? Uh, there's only one me. I have all these gifts and talents and strengths. So if I don't leverage them, it, you know, shame on me. We'll put a bow on it here momentarily, but the journey... Conscious leader's journey that everybody's a leader, it's not a position, it's a decision, invites us all to recognize if there's smoldering discontent. And by the way, if you have no smoldering discontent, God bless you, please help, exactly. the, rest, help yeah. the rest of us yes. get in that same Zen state of mind. But if you do, own it, be self-reflective about it, know there's a, there should be a way out, and then resource yourself because the old model of stress is, can I cope? Can I cope? Can I cope? Oh my God, what do I do? Can I cope? The new model is saying when demands exceed resources, you're stressed. So resource yourself. Right. And whatever resources, whether it's... Who, who not what. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, start by taking care of yourself and your needs. You matter. You're valuable. The world needs you. But the world can probably get the best of you when you're in company of people like Jeff, in my opinion, who can help amplify that and give you perspective and be a good mirror Final thoughts, Jeff, as we kind of wrap up this flip the script, yeah. turn, turn the tables, tag your it. How did you feel being the interviewer? Just, yeah, it's harder on the side of the table. <laughs> I like asking questions, <laughs> not answering. I want to have like two big thoughts. One is along the lines of what you were saying is that this is a, a business problem. 
you know, you were just talking about coming out of COVID, all this, and we had the great resignation, the uh, silver tsunami. And now I love this new thing. You know, the quiet quitter is like, oh, we got this new thing called quiet. No, people have been checked out forever. You know, gals been taking this poll for 20 years and 20 years, you know, 70, 80% of people are engaged. They're giving you the bare minimum. So this is not a new problem. Back to it's becoming a bigger problem as the next generations are coming in. Their expectations are entirely different. Customers have entirely different. So you have to get ahead of this. I mean, if you're not going to lead from this perspective, I think you're going to be highly challenged in the future. And so we need to change the model of work to truly be this idea of it's not just a job. We're not just trading time for money. We're actually doing something here where you get to bring your skills and demonstrate who you are and participate as part of a group to get something done. So yes, it's about the individual and the leader, but in the business, it's a huge business outcome to make that transition and make that shift. And the other thought I have that's really been banging around in my head for some time here is for guys like me who are in their 60s, it's time to start to move aside. I mean, not to, not to go to the beach and pick up rocks and <laughs> go play golf, you know, five days a week. I mean, still playing the game, but I think we got to shift our roles. I, uh, I just last weekend, I was at a wedding. The bride, I think, is in her early 30s. The groom's in her early 30s. She had graduated college, went to New York, met him in New York. He's from Texas. They now moved to L.A. So this wedding consists of people from L.A., Texas, Orange County, and L.A., all these kids in their 30s. I got to tell you, Neville, that group of people, that energy, that's not us. <laughs> we, that's, not, that's not us anymore. And every time I'm around groups of kids in their 30s and their 40s and even their 50s, it's time for us to slide, regardless of how youthful we think we are, how much we don't. We're just not those folks anymore. So it's time for uh, us to take on more of this role of being the consultant, being the coach, being the guy, and raising this thing up and letting go and letting them take the world and run the, with the ball. So that's kind of my other big thing now. How do we start to you know, really bring the next generations into this game? As we wrap this up, the wisdom traditions spend a lot of time attending to and respecting their elders. They know that that, whether that's in a business, it's institutional knowledge, or if it's in the wisdom traditions, the generational learning, our roles need to shift. And we need to provide that advice, a light touch, but enable the other. We're no longer the players on the field. Right. We're now the coaches that are helping them to be more effective. And our ability to make that transition, frankly, after getting all our value and seeing all our identity and how many points we put on the board is quite an adjustment for many of us. Yes, it's really difficult. But if we're not willing to do that, we're going to grind down till the bitter end and then lament the fact that we don't have the same skillages and capacities and potential, and that's a downward slope. So we need to redefine what success means to us. And I think people like you who are on the forefront of that wave and whether it's you know in the 20s asking pretty deep existential questions or pivoting to a consulting model with jailbreak leadership, or even now we're just at a wedding just as recently as this weekend. We need to attend to and learn from and be in partnership with folks like you. So I just want to kind of bring this to a close by saying thank you for your lifetime investment in growing, in being vulnerable, in owning the challenges and helping the rest of us do that because, you, like you said, it's not about you. It's about how you can serve and bring joy to other people. Well, thank you, Neville. I really appreciate it. appreciate you uh, taking the time to come in and do this today. And everyone that knows Neville has a great experience. You've done some great work here in this community. 
he was just talking about celebrating 40 years at the university and the teaching you did and how you were able to regroup with uh, the students and all this and how phenomenal that was. That's all based on what you've sowed into them. So I'm going to say, leave the word here. Of, it's time for us to start to leave a legacy right? and raise up the, the next generations and start to move aside and play a role as, as the elderly statesman. We don't need to be the quarterback every time. There you go. I think as Ken Blanchard said, live, love, learn, laugh, and leave a legacy. So let's use all yes. those L's. Legacy time for us note. little guys. Yes, for sure. Thank you for listening. I hope you got something out of it. Check out Jeff's book. Look at those 20 plus podcasts and find content that's going to resonate for you. Share the love. Live well. Find your purpose. God bless. Thank you, Neville.